This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Hello, Kerry Tucker. Hello, how are you? Yeah, good. Welcome to Better Reading. Thanks so much. Uh, what a remarkable story. Thank you. It has been a journey. It has. <laughs> yes. Um, I think, um, anyway, I'm going to introduce you. It's called The Prisoner um, and it's after spending four and a half years as an inmate of a maximum security prison, Kerry was released with a Master's of Arts degree. She then received her doctorate and became a lecturer at Swinburne University. Wow. She's an advocate for educating female inmates. I mean, that's, it's a remarkable story, isn't it? Um, I guess it is. You know, I, I've, I'm, I was too busy living it to think that it's remarkable. You know, I was just handed opportunities that people knew that I could, you know, um, work with. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I just took every opportunity that, that come along. So... Okay, so we we kind of um, we're going to start from the beginning. I want to know where you grew up and how it is that you ended up in a in, as a prisoner. I mm. mean, as a criminal, really, Mm-mm. right? Okay, and and you know, again, you know, a lot of people don't wake up. Most people don't wake up and and think that their career is going to be a, a, a mm. criminal. You know, or or end up in prison, God heaven forbid. Do you know, I've got to tell you, it's one of my biggest fears. Yes, and if I yep. ever have a nightmare. <laughs> It's about mm, being locked yep. up. And, you know, it's funny you should say that because I was only reading research the other day that that um, stated that when they they talked to about 100 different people, the two biggest fears were prison and death. Mm. So, yeah, well, I, on the other hand, found it quite liberating. <laughs> so Okay, all right. <laughs> I, I, I just, I can't get my head around that. So we're going to, because it wasn't that you were in a low security prison. No, no. Well, it, as opposed to, to New South Wales, in uh, Victoria, we only have one maximum security prison for wi- for women. So we only have like, we, and then we have the minimum, which is Tarangau Prison, um, and that doesn't have any fences. So anyone that you know is doing, and you only have to have one maximum security prisoner to have an entire prison when, because the population is so low. Okay, all right. So you grew up in Victoria. I actually um, was born in Sydney, um, oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and then um, we, we went to uh, a little tiny little Rosebury in, in, on the west side of Tasmania, and then another tiny little town, Leeton, in New South Wales, near Griffith and Wagga, and then over to Robinvale, which is on the border of New South Wales and Victoria, then to Mildura. And why did you move around so much? Um, my father then, right up until Robinvale, you know, took jobs. He was a, an accountant in either the mines or the fruit growing areas and whatnot. So he sort of tended to move around and we just followed him, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then from Mildura down to Melbourne. So, you know, I've sort of been around Victoria and New South Wales quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you grew up just mm-hmm. like the rest of us, went to primary school, went to high school. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think I think what happened, you know, early in the piece, and this is just part of my story, it's not an excuse, it's it's like every other family, you know, the wheels sort of fell off when, when Dad died, the main provider, and mm-hmm. and um, we were all quite, well, the last two of us were quite young, so, and it was very, very difficult for my mother mm-hmm. to, 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 to look after us, and I was, you know, quite a, a spirited young girl. Did he die young? Yeah, he was about 43, I oh, think. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Of course, at the time I thought he was old. Yes, yes, <laughs> of course. Um, but it's only been writing this book that I've actually gone, wow, was that right? <laughs> you know, mm. Given that I've, you know, passed that that time. Um, yeah, so the thing sort of really um, fell off from there, the, you know, the wagon you know, of life and then I think... Because life came financially tough. I mean, mm. you know, being a single mum at that time yeah. would have been yep. very And hard. also being a spirited um, 16-year-old, you know, with a mind of her own and whatever else, was never going to be able to respond. Was that how old you were yeah. when your dad died? Yes. See, and I think that that's formative in itself. Yes, yes, absolutely, it? yeah. yeah. I didn't realise this until many, many years later, in fact, probably writing the book and spending a lot of time talking to Craig, you know, um, because he, I was too busy living it. I didn't realise that there was anything really extraordinary, you know, and it's not an extraordinary sort of tale, but, it, but when your father dies, it does... Open it's up. formative. It yeah. defines who you are, yeah. particularly at sixteen. Mm. And and I, you know, you know, in my mother's defence, <laughs> God rest her soul, I I wouldn't have been the easiest daughter to work with. You know, no, the other ones, age, the other yeah. ones were were a lot easier than I was. So yeah, um, you know. So then it was. So would you say that you felt that at that time he'd gone off? You know, using that cliche, off the rails. Yes. Okay. Uh, well. Well, sort of. I never got into drugs or anything like that. No, I was never no that. Alcohol, no, 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 no. I was never. But I was just. When I think about it, and I think you know, thinking about it in the moment as I'm talking to you right now, I just knew I was heading for trouble. Yeah. I could just see in my mind, and I don't know what that meant. Do you know? I always think about that because when I look back at my years, and I think we're similar ages, mm-hmm. you and I, um, and you look at those teenage years, so to speak, and you kind of know that out of a group of five or six, yes, somebody's going to go. Absolutely. You know, yeah. which ones are going to be. Yeah. And somebody will go. And in a way, it must be so difficult for parents and teachers because mm. they would see the same thing. Absolutely. And how do you bring them back? Some come back and a mm, lot do, yep, yep. but a lot don't. Yes, yes. And I don't think I had that structure and that, you know, that those guidelines of, of making good decisions or, you know, being it, able was to... Was it because your mother was distracted, being, you know, just worked so hard that um, she... Probably. Yeah. Uh, more than likely. She was, she, I mean, she became, a, you know, a, a, an alcoholic, you know, a, a really bad alcoholic. Yeah, she was um, distracted. And again, and, you know, and again I was, you know, I wasn't able to even really understand that, I, I, you know, yeah, that, that she had pain. her own pain, you know. And her yeah, own grief. absolutely. So... Do you know, that's another thing too that I've learned as I've grown older that grief is very personal yes yes and because as a 16 year old you're dealing with your own grief Mm. the loss of a father but she's dealing with the loss of a husband absolutely and and that's not something that I readily understood then and 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 I can talk about it now but I still don't feel that I know that's what it is but I still don't sort of have that intense, intimate understanding of that, mm. um, of what, what she went through. I, I, I look back in, in 
you know, the, at that time and I was just sort of somebody standing up against a wall watching what she was doing. I was mm. just sort of there. So I don't have a connection feeling-wise in that sort of stuff. But I have more of an understanding now, absolutely. Mm. And that came through the book. Mm. Yeah. And so, um, so, f- so yeah, so you finished school and then what did you do? Um, I, well, uh, in a roundabout sort of way, then I met my ex-husband um, he was working down in Mildura and um, I – it was a whirlwind romance. Uh, well, that was going to happen, wasn't <laughs> of it? Of course. Yeah, the, you were just going well, to. Well, truth be known, if we're going to be completely honest about it, was the first person that, that, that showed any real interest and, and security and safety and, and sort of a bit like what my other sisters had, you know, that sort mm. of white picket fence sort of thing. Um, he turned out to be married, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but – in saying that, we had two beautiful daughters. We went on to get married. It was a difficult marriage. Mm. Um, and, you know, we, we had two wonderful daughters. And it was during the time of the marriage that um, I became involved in the crime. So uh, can we talk about the crime? Do you um, want to tell me what There's not happened? a great deal I can say. Tell me what you can say. Um, well, I was involved in, you know, uh, in fraud, in, in moving money around and um, and stealing money. And from... were you – can you tell us what type of organisation it was no, or not? Okay, no. that's fine. Um, you know, but it was, it was run by uh, people that I knew. Um, so – it was yeah. That, and did that, you know what you were doing? Yes, yes. So, okay, so this is this is what gets me, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Because when I do anything, like even if I pull pull up at traffic lights and the police pulls up next to me, I am sick with <laughs> worry mm-hmm. that I have done something wrong. Yeah, I'm sick. I'm yep. sick. I I cannot wait to drive away from them, and they must think I'm guilty as all get out because yeah, <laughs> my reaction is so adverse. And and th- and that's perfectly understandable unless you've got something higher than that 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 is more important that you know overshadows that so so a desperation to get out of a desperate situation that became that was the that was what was paramount to solve this this what was going on in my life to make it easier and just make things uh, okay. better yeah. That was paramount. It was a solution. So it was yes, and it was also and I look I, I look back now and I just cannot. Believe that that woman was me. I look at her as so a separate you, person. So you were stealing money or whatever yeah. it was you were doing to really for your family. Is that how you think it? Well, well it, is that it, how it was? Well, yes, and but but and so that I could get out of a desperate situation as well. Again, mm. I don't want to go into you know yeah, this, yeah. The, the the marriage side of things, but it made perfect sense to me because I was already in thinking you know in a desperate way. Yes. So so that became ah. the higher the higher motivation. And that was that was the way that I was going to live a happy get out of this, live a happy life, and and my kids would you know everything would be perfect. And was it that you were scared of you know I mean because I know this sounds really naive, but were you petrified when you were doing it and thinking every time you went home, thank God I haven't been caught, or thank God no one you know the police haven't knocked on my door? No, no. no. And there's a few reasons for that that I can't go into. Right. You know, okay. But, but I wasn't. No. No. Um, you know I felt almost sheltered. So you know and and the, you know your thought process at the time, you know. Um, makes everything okay it's it's like you're justifying it absolutely you do and the other thing too is you you, that's how and people that come from domestic violence also um they also make it okay what we know it's wrong 
but we make it right in the head, you know. I'll make it better. I'll do this, I'll do that. It becomes a management plan of sorts. It becomes part of your nature. And that's why it was very easy to make, you know. Um, it's it's not satisfying at all to say that these were easy decisions to make, but but someone with that same thought process will understand that. So mm. so um so I made them and um and and you know ended up being arrested. Mm. <laughs> so the rest so is So tell history. me about no, but I, oh. I'm really because yeah. it's such a fear of mine. I'm really curious mm-hmm. as to how that led to the arrest. So, you know, were you at home one day and the police knocked on your door or what? Pretty happened? much, the, the the bank had had rung somebody and informed them, you know, that it, it was it, it had been caught. The the the, the end was near. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and in actual fact, one of the people that I worked with rang me and said, this is this is what's going to happen and the police are involved. And some people out there were telling me what was happening with the investigation. So I was just sitting waiting for them to come and arrest me. I knew and how did was, you feel about that? Um, look, I think I just, just I, I liken it to somebody that was just sitting watching television, just watch, and there was a clock above the television and I'd just sit and watch, you know, I'd watch a show and look at the time watch a show, look at the time, and then I'd think, you know, is 4 o'clock a good time to get arrested? <laughs> is 4.30? Maybe they'd be on break. Maybe this, you know. So I was literally just sitting, waiting, counting down, because I didn't know, but I knew it was going to be any hour. And were you fearful? Yes. Yeah. At that stage, that, At that start. stage, that starts to kick in, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it's the fear of the unknown. It wasn't so much the fear of... of, of um, everything coming out and all that sort of stuff. It was the fear of, of having no control over what is going to happen to you next, you know. So, again, you know, I'm thinking from, from my perspective, I would be so scared it would be beyond what I could describe of the police and what was coming up. But my other fear would be my mother, how she would react to me stealing and being arrested and going to jail. And then my sisters, mm. my brother and my friends. I mean, did that enter your head? Like, not at all. Not at all? Not at all. Um, n- no, not at all. I-, I hadn't spoken to my mother for years. Okay. Um, she, in fact, passed away when I was in prison. So, um, And that's sort of, a, you know, a little bit of a regret there that there were some unsolved issues there. Um, but, you know, that was our relationship. So I- I'm quite at peace with-, with all of that. What about your siblings? Um, you know, w- the white picket fences. I mean, how are they going to feel about this? They were they were very supportive. They 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 knew of what we were just talking about on on how I justified all of this. Mm. They were very aware of that, so they were very supportive. You know. Oh wow. Yeah, and and to this day, so you know, um, there are some that I don't get along with. You know, that's oh, that we're yeah, a large family. Normal. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've got four <laughs> you know, sisters, and, um, and that's, that's just normal. life. <laughs> that's um, yep. But yeah, so no, I wasn't. I because I, I don't think by that stage too. The, the last person I was worried about was was my mother finding out, you know, and she, you know you it, weren't it, worried about not that. at all. <laughs> and in, with all due respect of that, it was such a fractured relationship. But also she was, you know, she um she was such she was an alcoholic. She and I mean mm, in every true, sense of the true, word. So, yeah, okay. so she was having short term memory loss. She was you know she most would, of the time yeah exactly. I spoke to her for the last time in prison on the phone Christmas Day. And I'm in a maximum security prison. My sister says, I've got mum here. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, she wants to say hello. I've told her that you're in prison. 
and she felt really bad and all that sort of stuff. And by the time she got onto the phone, she said, you know, hi, Kerry, you know, do you think you'll be able to make it up to Mildura for dinner tonight? And I was like, well, the chances are fairly remote. <laughs> but thanks for asking. <laughs> I'll speak to the warden. <laughs> you know, so so that was nice. And, it, and in hearing that voice, you know, in hearing my mother's voice and then listening to her just no idea. I was actually quite That's happy that yes. she had no idea that she was talking to her youngest daughter on Christmas Day in a maximum security prison and mm. then she died sort of five months after that. So in that sort of, you know, there's there's always reasons, you know, why a lot of people don't act normally in the norm, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. So when did they knock on the door? And oh. hang on a second. So did you prepare... You know, you had – how old were you and how old were your kids at the time? I was 40 and the girls were five and seven, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so had you made a plan around that? No. No. No, because because it, you, you don't know what to plan for, you know. Mm. It, 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 I'm sorry I'm, I'm going down that line. I'm <laughs> no, such a practical person. But it's I'm thinking, true. But they, they're really yeah. good questions because I have to think about the answer, they're, mm. you know. Um, and, I, and I didn't. I, no, I didn't. And, and why so what I, did you think was going to happen to them? Oh, well, they would, they would go to my ex-husband. Okay. You know, oh, so, of course. So, of so course, the backdrop yeah. is I had that luxury, I, yes. I guess. But but there was still the fear of sitting down well, and telling divorced? them that mummy's going away. Oh, mummy's leaving them. That I actually didn't do that. It's the one thing in my life that I didn't have the guts to do. I've had the guts six to and do. Seven. Yeah, five and seven. Yeah. So five and seven. So they would understand. Yes. Yeah. And I. Yeah, I, they would. I didn't have the. No. I'm going to cry right now yes. about that one. <laughs> when I think about it, mm. it's just no, no, no. So, no. so were you and your husband together still no, at the time we, of your arrest? No, no. Okay, yeah. Okay, and he lived around the corner. Okay. So, um, I I knew, and he knew that it was that it was happening. I told him and confided in him. Yeah. Um, and, and as far as you, you know, it was obvious we didn't need to discuss about the girls. It was obvious that well, what was going to happen. It was just a discussion about how do I tell the girls. Again, I, I, I needed to, 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 to wait until everything happened so I knew what was going to happen, how it was going to work, you know. Mm. But, you know, as it, as it turns out, it, it, it sort of jumped on me a little bit quicker than that, you know. Tell me what happened. Well, by the time you know, they, they arrested me, they'd had me so under surveillance. For, oh, wow, okay. You know, you've got to remember too, it was a very <laughs> little like t- a TV drama. <laughs> it is. It is. It was a very and – and look, I laugh about this because it's my story and my memoir and I've lived it and, and, and what I sort of went through with respect and respecting that I needed to be – to go to prison for my crime, I can now have a laugh at, you know, I've paid my dues. So I do laugh that they had me under surveillance, you know, because because I wasn't going anywhere. I'd, I'd never been arrested. I wasn't a master criminal. You know, I had two you little just kiddies. Home and, and yeah, how boring. Yeah, I, I, yes. But they had them staked out everywhere and whatever. You know, it was a bit, you know, anyway, it was a bit overkill. But it was a very small town and I was a, a really big story. So, you know. It was just everyone was in for five cents as far Where as that goes. Where was it? Hillsville. Oh, beautiful place. Yeah, beautiful. Yes. I've been there a couple of times. I think it's gorgeous. Yeah, it is a lovely little place. Yeah. But everybody knows everything <laughs> in Hillsville. Totally. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so and I went to the gym. Oh, wow. And, and it had to be, you know, of course, the gym, not wait until I get home. So they sort of walked into the gym and, and it was a bit like, you know, it was a Public. little bit like something out of homicide, you know, where they walked in and brushed their, you know, jacket back to show their gun and it was like, what, can they shoot me? You know, this mm-hmm. is crazy. And um, 
and it was all very dramatic. Um, it, with would respect, would you have considered going in and giving yourself in? Is, would that have been an option? No. Do people do that, or is that, that uh, no? Happen? No. Uh, look, I I, I I don't know the stats on yeah. that, but I do know I do know the the mind that works behind trying to work all of this out. Mm-hmm. Every day it'll it'll get better because I'll find a way. Every day it'll get better because the when, the way it gets worse is when you're trying to make it better. You, you know, so um, no, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't have. No, no. Okay. Um, and I, and I don't think anyone involved in a fraud situation would, because there's always that hope that you can make it a little bit better. Whereas or other that people, who in violent crime and, and things like that, I think that's where you're more inclined to go. Oh, gee, you know, hit and run. I'll go and hand myself in, but not. No, not mm. fraud. So, so that thought never cons- never crossed my mind. Okay, so you're at the gym, <laughs> and um, you know he. He come in and I never forget. He said, "Are you Kerry Tucker?" And I'm like, "You, you know I am." <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all know that. Yeah. And yeah. He said, um, and then it was like, "Well, we're going to take you out. Uh, you're under arrest, um, and we're going to take you out and interview you and whatnot." And that's where it gets a little bit, you know, because when I was taken out of there and I was taken back, I was interviewed, you know, and then I was taken back to my house where there was like vans and buses of stuff, and they just gutted the house, you know, as restitution and whatnot. I, um, I don't know what that means. Um, as proceeds of crime to pay back the debt, to pay back what oh, was taken. They so, take it at that oh, point. yeah, I took everything, the house, right, you know, okay. car, and that's a fact. Yeah. That's, yeah. you know. Um, and then taken back to the station and interviewed for, I think it was probably so seven they, or eight hours. They took everything they wanted Absolutely. that was sellable at that point. Yes, and before the house. Before you were proven guilty. Before I was even charged. Okay. So <laughs> they were, you know, they had been. In, in in their defence as well, they I just sat back waiting to be arrested. They'd been fueled by a lot of gossip, by a lot of by the people that were were the victims. So rightfully so. So their their emotions were pretty high when mm. they when they got to me. It was like we are going to make her pay, mm. you know. And and were you the mastermind? No. Right. Um, so there were other people. I, well, no, I, I don't. I can't say oh, okay. anything like that. And right. I, you know, I, I wasn't. I'm not saying mastermind. The context that I'm using mastermind is is I wasn't a mastermind criminal sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I just yep. fumbled along doing it. Um, you know, and got away with it for a long time. So one could suggest that maybe I, I was, you know, clever mm. mastermindish. <laughs> got it. Um, yeah. So yeah. So then um, after that, it was a, a matter of um, I think. So when you were taken to the police station and charged, you never went home after that? No, no. So, uh, well, I did actually for a couple of hours and then next day I had to go and see them. Um, Actually, I did. I had to go and see them and then we had our remand hearings and bail hearings and all that sort of stuff. And were you out on bail? Only for a couple of days, yeah. The bail hearings were I I had to attend bail Without a car, you know, because everything was was gone. Mm. But also, and it was a 20-minute drive. It was probably an hour and a half round trip. Um, at that time, three times a day, which was the maximum, um, you know, that you can attend a bail hearing for. It was it was pretty much overkill. It was designed to make it very difficult for me. Um, and that that time was was the absolute worst. And that was when it was a matter of just saying, I'm I'm I'll go in, get mm. this over and done with. I thought we were looking at about two years. And I kept thinking, well, the girls will be quite young and will be able to get out and, you know, sort of go go from there. Um, so from the minute you were charged, how does the process work? So you, when you get charged 
It's 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 probably what, what what the community need to understand is when people say you know I was just plucked off the street and 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 put into a prison. It doesn't work that way. You know you actually have to to be put into prison. You have to have a judge go before a judge, and the judge will say yes, you can be remanded into into prison pending a hearing and whatnot. Right. So that's what happened. It was I had um, a, a hearing, and um, I said to my bar- barrister at the time, we won't go for bail. So then I automatically get sent to uh, get remanded to go to prison. So you hear of, you know, much, I mean, lots of crimes, much bigger than yours, I guess, mm-hmm. where people are off on bail for two or three years. Oh, absolutely, years. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it needs to be said too, and again, you know, I've, I've, I take full responsibility for everything to do with my story, you know, so mm. I'm not using excuses, I'm just using fact and whatnot. But but it, it is... Um, White collar crimes are dealt with a lot, a lot harsher because white collar uh, people generally don't have mental health issues or, uh, or that we're aware of, um, but addictions and things like that. They might have gambling and whatever else, but but generally it's seen as a very calculated crime, um, right? Okay. As opposed to an impulsive crime where somebody right. has, you know, in a domestic violence situation, murdered their husband or, or yeah. you know, pushed someone over and they've you know been been killed or injured or something like that. So so manipulative crime versus impulsive crime will always draw the larger the larger sentence, you know, regardless. Okay. So you'll 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 often see that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And I'll go one step further. <clears throat> particularly being an, you know an, an ex you know lecturer in media studies is that if you're a woman it's called a second sentence because you you know you do tend to get um to get um, um, judged a lot more harshly because you know you should have well you should have been at home with your kids you know that's not what women are here for it's much more acceptable for Jeez, men to commit at crime every level is there. yeah yeah but it's it's more it's more acceptable or expected I should say that men will commit crime not not women and if women do commit crime the expectation just out of research is that they should be drug addicts not you know calculated. People with kitties, you know, it's a bit, it's confusing. <laughs> it's, wow. you know, so. So even the, the prison si- uh, system is sexist. Well, I should say the I should say the court system the rather court than the system. Pri- the prison right. system. Yeah. So you know, um, and again, it depends on the judge, and it depends on the, you know a whole you know stars aligning and the day. It's it's yeah. it's, it's everything. So um, yeah, but um, so then what happens is that you then get reminded to go to prison. In Victoria, because we only have one, everyone goes to the maximum security prison first. 
from there you're sorted into what your category is and okay. whether you'll go to the minimum security prison, which only holds about 50 people anyway. Um, so everyone's in the maximum security prison. So had you had a hearing yet? No. 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 I, oh, I'd, I'd gone before a judge to be remanded but then yeah. – um, and the judge and the police will present to the judge enough evidence to say I'm guilty. So the chances, the higher ch- chance of probability of me being guilty is extremely high. So the judge will say, yeah, mm. let's. let's. Um, but in, in Victoria, unfortunately, when the, the prison fills up, you, the, you get put into a police holding cell somewhere out in the suburbs until a bed becomes available. So if you're last in to the holding cells, well, it, it, at any time, yeah. um, the f- the person bef- before you who's in line goes out to the next bed available. So I was definitely three weeks in this in the police holding cell. <gasps> yes. What was that like? <laughs> that was a nightmare. That was oh, an absolute oh. nightmare because Degrading, yes, horrible. and also too because it's run by the police. Now mm. I say that that I say that with with full respect to the police. You know they've got a very thank- thankless job. There's no doubt about that. Um, but you know it's a different system when it's run by the police with offenders as to a prison that's run by corrections officers who mm. are members of the public that have and just trained. done it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they don't have a, a particular bias sort of thing. So again, it, you know, it was a very uh, that was probably the the hardest time. But it stood me well for when I finally did get to prison. I felt like I was old school. Wow, you know. three weeks and in the one prison. In, in a police holding cell. In a one yeah. holding cell. Yep. And um, so, and all we were, by yourself. No, no, no. We're all there were other girls in there. So that's the. Oh. I was in with um, other girls that were in on drug crimes. They were they were they were used to the system. They'd been in and out of prison a hundred times. They were old school, well known mm. criminals. So they took me under their wing because they knew that I was this newbie. I think my hair was practically still in pigtails. You know, <laughs> I was, you know, trotted in on my heels, and they sort of took me under. How did you feel? Talk to me about your feelings. One about your kids that night, the first night. Two about just being in this. You know, like what were you thinking? Um, it's a bit hard. You know, it's there's one thing that that's really difficult is is touching those times about the girls because mm. it's still a very open wound um, mm. as a mother. Mm. It's so that, and I think on the first night it was just trying to work out who it was around me. What. What was it? What what was going to happen to me? Are these girls going to hurt me? Are the police going to hurt me? What? How? Do, what's the routine? You know what? What is this? What happens? You know, these girls were withdrawing from heroin, so they were. You know, they weren't happy at all. Um, but they. So in all of this confusion and whatever else, it's very hard to. It's almost welcome, because it it overshadows the thought about what's going on with the girls, mm-hmm. with my daughters. So that. All of that chaos was very welcome for me. It was a, it was a distraction, you know, to, to, because I knew that if I touched those feelings about the girls, I probably would never recover. So you just put them aside. Oh, totally. Yes, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's how most women tend to do it. You know, it's very rarely do you, do you, in, during that sentence, do you actually, you know, touch those, those feelings because it's, it's, mm. it's just too hard. And so then when you got to the prison, it's, you know, and I'm pulling information from <laughs> television, um, you get in there, all your personal belongings forever are gone. Yeah. And, and your children. And, and your children. Yep. And everything you know. Yep. 
I just don't know how you mentally prepare that for that. Well, or you don't. You don't. And the thing is, because it's such this huge experience that you're stepping through it every day and everything's new and everything is you're being told is a new situation and a new way of doing things and a new way of living and a new way of being, you know. So it's you're, you're literally shedding the skin of your old life while you're, while you're you know, putting on a new armour getting ready for the new life, you know, it's a, it's an amazing sort of transition. Um, and women are very resilient. Women with kids are very resilient, mm. you know, because that's the one thing that you draw on to be able to make sure that you, you know, wake up the next day, take that extra step, mm. plan for something, have a little bit of hope. That's, you know, the one thing that you've got because you don't have anything else, you mm. know. And, in, and so at what point did you know that you were facing, I don't know, what was it, five years, yeah. seven years? Um, as it got closer to the trial, as it got closer to my sentencing, I, I realised that because because when I went into prison, it was the the, the amount was around five hundred thousand dollars, and it, and once I was in prison, it steadily rose to about one point nine million dollars. Um, uh, th- that's just how it is, and that's just what it was. So, um, the two years went immediately to five once I was advised of that. Right. So I, I knew then that, you know, and then my barrister command went, wow, well, we need to consider, reconsider this. Um, and, and he was spot on mm. with that. So uh, they were, again, powerless to be able to have any, um, uh, any involvement in that sort of thing because you're in prison. So whatever happens so in... So you're accused of taking $500,000 and then you're accused of taking over a million dollars. Yeah. Is that how it worked? Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. It just, you know, it just kept rising when I was was in, was in prison, so. And did you know how much you took? Um, well, yeah, probably. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't agree with the amounts, um, but that's, you know, that's old. Again, things I can't discuss and, and, um, and you can't cry over spilt milk, I guess, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. It didn't turn out that well, so I, you know, I, and, and it was very important to me once I realised this. It was very important to me that there were a couple of things that I did. If I was ever going to be able to walk the community again and have my children say that they were proud of me and that was was one, be bigger than my sentence, come back bigger than what my sentence was, not appeal it, don't use legal aid, don't, don't be accused of draining the community of funds. Um, you know, I stayed in maximum security all the way. I wrote a children's book that enabled women there to finally start seeing their children. Um, I, I worked at a law firm in the last six months of my sentence and during the day. Um, what, that let you out? Yeah, it was a day release. It's a, th- oh. it's a thing. <laughs> um, what, you go to work and come yeah. back? and <laughs> Come back at night and get into my prison blues and right. go back to, you know, it, it was my home. Yeah. Um, Did you see your kids throughout that time? Yeah, yeah. Regularly? Uh, uh, no, no. And there's a lot of reasons for that too. You know, um, you know my ex-husband and I you know, started off, you know, working well with that and then things got tough for him, you know, and, yeah. and I didn't like that. angry. And the other thing too is that I didn't understand that too. When you're in prison, you don't care, you don't care about the price of petrol. It's got absolutely no relevance to me. Mm. You know, so your, your ability to have empathy for anybody else on the outside is really reduced and that's a, a problem that probably needs to be addressed with the system, you know, um, so, you know, there were, that we had issues of toing and froing. The girls were also starting to grow up. He lived with the girls as far east of Melbourne as the prison was west. So mm. it was a, a huge drive. 
So and and time just moved on. The girls started to grow up, you know. So, and how old were the girls when you were released? Uh, Eleven and thirteen, I think. Right. So yeah. They're still You'd young. think I'd know the number. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, I I often because we have lots of victims in here. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is the first time I've actually interviewed the perpetrator. Yeah. Because yep. people victims are telling their story. Of course. Yeah. And I often feel that the system is is more for the perpetrator mm. than it is for mm. the victims because they don't have a voice. They don't get to their grief, their whatever it is that they've been done to and it's usually horrendous. It's murder, mm. it's mm. rape, it's mm. violence and the system does not work in their favour yeah. and I actually truly believe that. You yeah. know, I think that... that it all becomes about the perpetrator. The whole system is designed, like, you know, the, 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 the process, exactly what you've told me. How do you feel about that? Um, look, I, I agree with you in the sense yeah. that, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a beautiful world there wouldn't be any victims, you know, and, mm. and, and I, seriously, I seriously believe that. Um, looking at it from, from the way I've seen the courts as well, Mm. Um, I've seen, you know, the victims go before the court and, and given a great deal of leeway in victim impact statements. That that leads a lot to the judge. The judge can tend to rely very heavily on victim impact statements when it comes to sentencing. So in that sense, their voice is heard in, in how I want that person standing in that dock to be dealt with. I want them to either do 20 years or I want them to just rehabilitate or I want this, I want that. They have a very loud voice in victim impact statements. I, I, you know, I know that. Um, that may not be enough. I, you know, I'm not quite sure, mm. but, but when it comes and, and everything else that goes with offending, I absolutely agree that, you know, there's, there's a sorrow and there's the grief. You know, I, I understand all of that. When it comes to the courts, I don't think that it's in favor of the perpetrators. Um, the victims probably need more of a voice in the community, but they certainly haven't when it comes to sentencing. Mm. So, um, as I but say, but I guess the media, yeah, I guess in a way the media focuses on the crime. Oh, absolutely, it? you know, and and I've always said I can only talk to women in prison. I don't talk to male offenders because um, I, I I don't know anything about them, and I don't know much about my, male prisons. But I do know women offenders, and I do know women, you know, female mm. prisons. Um, women in prison, by far, by far. Uh, you know, they were they were victims before they became perpetrators. Mm. Just about every woman in there. That's just how it is. Mm. It does change the way that you think. It does change the way that you behave. It does change the way that you look at crime. Have you read Joe Chinquest's Consolation? Yes, I have. By Helen yeah. Yes, I have. Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Interesting. You should bring that up. Mm. Um, it made me so angry. I, I, Beautifully I, written. I abs- of course, Helen Garner is just one of the mm. the. the you know, she wrote the first stone, and of course, then after that, we I had them, um, yeah. we had Farquharson in this house or whatever. Mm. Um, but but jo- yes, that 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 I must say, she got away with murder. I, I absolutely, I mm. agree with you. And again, in that sense, um, I was infuriated by that too, mm. because in in actual fact, she served less than I did. <gasps> so so that alone makes me think. You know, now that's. That's not to me, you know, I, I've got no right to judge somebody else's justice, but in that it's just like wh- wh- how do we go wrong with this? Mm. The other thing too is that the judge can only sentence on what is before him or her. So much doesn't get to them. 
so much of it is dealt with with the lawyers. They all, you know, what you can put in, what you can't put in, will this person charge this person and then it can go before the judge. There's so much that goes on before it even gets to the judge that the community aren't aware of. Mm. And and that's not right. She got out on a loophole, I believe, you know, mm. and... She's and still out there campaigning to actually get her, get on the, you know, become a lawyer. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah. almost outrageous. And, 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 <laughs> I, and I agree with you that the, you know, when you've got a way that people think, you know, we're mitigating circumstances as per being a drug addict and whatever else, I think, you know, we, we, we do have to make allowances for that because these, most of the women in prison, you know, had a life of incest. They were raped, they would become homeless, they ended up on drug addicts and now they have to commit crime just to survive. I think we need to look at that in mm. a humanitarian way and I'd go as far oh, as... Oh, I think the way that we, we handle drugs glo- yes, globally yeah. is, is an... In- yeah. It's shame on us yes. is what I yes, think. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And and so that's where the mitigating circumstances yeah. come in. She wasn't in her right mind when yeah. she did this and she did that or, or whatever. So I agree with that when it comes to the other bigger issues um, and, it was, and it's particularly, again, it's the males that are the violent. Very yeah. few women mm. are, are violent offenders. We talked offenders. to um, Cindy, Cindy Walkner recently about those those poor fellows that were murdered in Bali, the um, the two out of the Bali Nine. Oh, yes. And we were talking about Summa drugs there. Yeah. Or something. And I really, really felt that yep. our prisons must be full of victims in a way because we, we don't go for the people that actually are the, yep. are the, the, the criminals, the people that run these organizations yeah, yeah. are and still I, there. I looked at those two and I and, and it was such mm. a sad thing because Awful. if anything that comes out of you know we are we're living in a society where where there is always going to be crime. Mm. So we need to deal with this just like we need to with it with the health system and whatever else. Mm. At the moment it's not working. No. Prisons could work a whole lot better if we started looking at at, at how, what what is bringing people what 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 is putting people on this life path to prison. Oh, you know. I think drugs is... And that's three quarters of the women. Yeah, yeah, three quarters of the women's prison. I want to know what it was like for you the day you came home. I mean, firstly, I think, were you sentenced to seven years and served four and a half? Yes. Is that what happened? Yep. And why is that... In, in Victoria and across, in, in, in Australia, actually, this is something that I also like to clarify because it, the media tend to get it wrong, um, is that you get a top and a bottom sentence. And the top oh, okay. sentence is seven years and the bottom sentence is four and a half. And what the judge is specifically saying is that I want you to do four and a half years behind bars, but I want you to do two and a half years in the community being monitored basically on oh, parole. Oh, that happened. Yeah, and that's, and that's what happens with every sentence. Any person that's been in prison will usually get a parole period at the end of it. Right. So the judge always said from the word go, I want you in prison for four and a half years, not seven, four and a half. But your top right. sentence is okay. seven. After seven years, you're free and clear. Yeah. So when I get out at four and a half years, the media then can't turn around and go, oh, my God, they were released early, you know, yeah. because there is no such thing. Uh, okay. Legally, there is no such thing as being released mm. early. You, you you would have to die to be released early. Right. There's nothing that can change that sentence. Okay. So it's an easy way of using things to be able to manipulate the community to think, oh, another offender's got him off light. Yeah. You know, they they let him out early and whatever else. Well, they didn't. They let him out as per what the judge's exact instructions were. Okay. So, so I want to know what that, that first day was like. I want to know how you felt. So what happens? You wake up in the morning, pack your bag. I mean, cried. All day. <laughs> um, I, 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 I definitely would be crying. I, all day. I, I no, I cried because I didn't want to leave. Oh, I was frightened. I was, I was a someone in a in a community that that really liked me. 
I'd adapted to a – I became useful. I was – I was somebody that was respected in this community. I knew I was coming out to a really big place, really big system, really big – an old community that didn't want me anymore. I knew that coming out. Um, I had to try and rebond with these these children that I gave birth to that I just didn't even really know. You know, they were my prison babies, you know. So um, it was it was overwhelming. And, I, and then, then my family – And saying thank, goodbye to your friends, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And – and and I went up and I and said that, saw the general manager and burst into tears. I said I, I just can't say goodbye to you. You know, I, I'm so thankful for everything that you've let me do here. I feel like I'm leaving. I'm, I'm betraying the system or something. I was so thankful. So your experience in prison was positive, I guess. A- absolutely, was. It, it was. Apart from my girls, and that's a whole separate <laughs> little area. Um, apart from my daughters, it was a very positive experience. So and you felt rehabilita- rehabilitated? Absolutely I did, yeah, yeah. And look, since being out, I've advocated for women. I've, I've spoken at probably between three and 500 events that I've never charged for or I've donated back to, to the cause for the, you know, understanding prisoners, whether it be VACRO or um, um, Where for Success or, you know, um, homelessness, any, anything to do with that. And, and that was my redemption. That was my way of, of making sure okay, that I could... so I want to go back to... Reconnecting with your girls. Yeah. That was really difficult. That was uh, because they didn't, you know, they had major trust issues. They loved mummy and I loved them, but we were also very used to not seeing each other. So um, if, if I couldn't see them on a particular weekend, it was, oh, ho-hum, I'll, you know, wait till next weekend or next week or whatever. So you got, you saw them straight away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that day you came out, where did you go? The second day. The, the first second. day um, I spent with my sisters, you know, um, at Docklands. They took me out there and because uh, they know I like a glass of wine and we had a glass of wine and it was it was beautiful you know it was but no, I was I, I know it well yeah. <laughs> I was also listening to them talking about people that you know and I'm like who's that who's that and they were sister in laws they were or, or or nephews girlfriends or a baby that had been born sort of you know and I I felt like I was you know I wasn't connected to that at all either. It's a very difficult thing, very difficult thing. So I didn't – and I was like, these are my family, are they? Oh, I, you know, people – everything moves on. So it well, was – it keeps going, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was very, very difficult. So I spent the day with him. The second day I went out and um, Mike's husband said, you know, um, take the girls for a couple of hours and all that sort of stuff. And How did you feel about that? Um, look, you know, that's just how it was. And, and, and I, powerless, mm. powerless. But, but – Thankful above anything else that he that my girls had stayed with him and they were good girls, so that that is above and beyond anything else, you know. But I remember going shopping and people were walking around the shopping centre. I'm walking along with the girls and the girls are just you know, nattering at each other and you know, and they were driving me insane. <laughs> I was, and I, I realised I had no patience for this. I was dealing with grown women that we, we were just telling them to just go away and off they'd go, sort of thing. These were little kids that just kept annoying me, you know, and I didn't want to turn around and get into them because it's like, oh, mummy's home after five years and I'm, and I'm into them, you know. Um, but I didn't know what to do. I'd lost all my parenting skills. But not only had I lost that, I'd, I'd lost that authority as a mother, you know. So I was, it was, I was just sweating. I didn't know what to do. And then I was listening to people. This is the one thing I remember is while they went off, you know, looking in a shop, I was sitting there waiting for them and, and I could hear people going, you know, you know, um, 
why don't you come around Saturday night? Yeah, yeah, why don't we, why don't we um, grab Mark as well? And we, or we'll go to Bunnings and we'll get that barbecue and we'll get the lawnmower and all that sort of stuff. And, and though, there was all these lives, lived lives, people that were just talking with ease and I just didn't fit in anywhere. It was like a ghost walking around listening other people's stories because I didn't have a lawnmower and I didn't want to go to Bunnings. <laughs> there was no reason for me to go to Bunnings. I didn't have a house for people to come over and have a barbecue. I had no friends for people to come over and have a barbecue. I had two girls standing off there that were really annoying me. <laughs> mm. And it was it was a really frustrating day. And then to make it worse, when I went to pay for something for the girls, um, I couldn't I looked and I couldn't work out the FPOS machine. It had changed in five years. It was mm. it was this big computerized rocket ship as far as I was concerned. And I remember looking over this woman's shoulder watching her do it so I didn't look like an idiot. And she actually turned around and thought that I was trying to, mm. you know, steal her identity or something or other and I was like, oh, my God, I've been out mm. a day. I'm going to end up, mm. you know. So so that change, that that movement in the community that, that, had, that had completely changed while I was out was also really hard to get my head around. And with the girls it was just, it was about me sitting back and going, okay, okay. And when I watched them... They had their own little lives. They were talking about their friends and they were talking that I didn't know, you know, that they were going off to play sport, they were going to do this and the other. So I realised then that I need to just inch my way in like a little centipede and and, and become relevant in their lives again rather than saying, right, mum's back, let's do this and that and the other. I just didn't have. And how old are they now? 21 and 22. And how's the relationship? Fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. I couldn't. I couldn't be prouder. In fact, I was just saying to, to Jess, we were sitting down and I was on um, the morning show this morning and um, I looked down at my phone afterwards and my daughter Shannon, um, she's a hairdresser in, in um, Lilydale and she's, she sent me a message. She goes, oh, oh, hey, mum. Well, that was a nice surprise. I'm at work and I look up and see you on TV. Mm. <laughs> she said, then I look again and there's me. Mm. <laughs> um, she said, I love you and I'm proud of you, you know, so... They and 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 they say, they say it often. They've become very socially aware. They they are interested in what I'm interested in, and that's you know because they they've got good hearts. They're good people. They they're lovely girls. Do you know, Kerry? I absolutely love a happy ending. Oh. I really do. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.